Welcome to Finding My Yum, a sex-positive podcast celebrating all forms of sexual expression. Each week, we bring on a new guest to share their journey. We talk honestly and openly about what they're into and what sex, kinks, love, and more look like in the real world. I'm Jerry Courtney Austin. And I'm Will Lentz. And we are your hosts. And today we are absolutely thrilled to have Kevin Patterson here to talk all about polyamory, uh, race and representation within the kink community, his three books that he has out, forthcoming soon, uh, and so much more. Uh, it was such a wonderful interview. I This man is the kindest human being I think I've had on the on the show in like quite a while, besides you, Will, obviously. Of course, of course. <laughs> I was going to say it, but no. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, like such a joy. And, uh, you know, we've, we've had on uh, Taylor and Chase, who are a non-monogamous couple, and I am exploring non-monogamy, but we haven't had anyone specifically to talk about polyamory, um, which is like a subsect of, of non-monogamy. And, and just like you know it varies between person to person but uh he talked about his experience i think it's really important to talk about race and representation in all aspects of of life and the world that we're living in but you know this is particularly about the king community which i think is really cool and definitely an important component to start talking about and and to have real change which he's already impacting within his own community and you know, worldwide with people who have access to his book, um, Love is Not Colorblind. And yeah, so I, it was just, a, it was just a joy. <laughs> I'm excited to listen to it because it, it recorded the day before we're, uh, I know, before we're, we're dropping it. Um, Labor Day really <laughs> fucked things up. <laughs> but you said it was such a great one that we wanted to get it out as quickly as possible. And, and honestly, like I was, I, we were talking before this and I was like, I don't actually know a lot about polyamory. Um, especially in how it's different from non-monogamy. And, you know, more often than not, lately, when I'm on dating apps, I'm running into more and more people that identify as poly. And so I was like, this could be, I mean, I'm excited to hear this and uh, and see, oh, is that for me? I don't know. Yeah. You know? so, oh, uh, so, yeah. I love that. I love that. You know, I've been li- listening to the Savage Lovecast, which is Dan Savage podcast. And, you know, it's so interesting to hear, like, different relationship dynamics, how people interact. And, and, you know, that's what I love about this podcast and what we're doing is like, I just learn so much. And I think, I, you know, I think he brings up so much about how really being in alternative communities that are not just monogamy, it opens your mind, opens your communication, makes you investigate internally um, and really figure out if social constructs apply to you and whether those are authentic for your experience and how you want to live. And and I think, God, we need more of that, more introspection, more communication, more people just like not talking out of their ass. Um <laughs> Yeah. It seems, yeah, that, that's <laughs> definitely a theme for 2020. Um, so without further ado, please enjoy. Yay! Welcome to Finding My Yum. I am so excited today. We have Kevin Patterson here. Thank you so, so much for being here. I'm so excited and delighted to talk to you. Hey, I appreciate I, I appreciate you having me on and, uh, and, and uh, spending the time. Yeah, awesome. So um, you're involved in so many different things, and I'm so excited about our conversation. So I'd love for you to just uh, introduce yourself a little bit and, and say all of the amazing things that you really created and that we're about to talk about. 
Um, my, my name is Kevin Patterson. Um, as you said, uh, the thing that I, I kind of got uh, the ball rolling on was uh, Poly Role Models, which was an interview series for people to talk about like their real experiences with polyamory. Um, that rolled into me writing the book, Love's Not Colorblind, Race and Representation of Polyamorous and Other Alternative Communities. Um, right now, I'm spending a lot of time teaching classes, including Unfuck Your Polyamory with Dr. Liz Powell. Uh, that's going really well. And also um, the Queer Polyamorous Superhero Series for Hire, which is a... Uh, Right now, it's two prose novels. We've got the third one actually finished, and we're uh, we're shopping it around to publishers. And basically, is either the publishers take it, or we're going to self-publish it, like we did the last two. And either way, I'm super excited to have it finished. Yeah, no, oh, that's a huge accomplishment. Um, I haven't written one book, let alone four books, so <laughs> that's uh, incredible. Um, so I want to get into all of the amazing work you're doing, but I'm I'm curious uh, if you're willing to share of your journey to this moment and and what brought you to to this uh, educator position and and talking about polyamory and particularly representation within the kink and polyamorous community um yeah what drew you to to this time to to being that person um well my my wife and i we've been together for 18 years married for 13 of those years and um, we've been non-monogamous almost the whole time. Like we, oh, wow. we didn't really discuss what our relationship structure was when we got together. And then we sort of stumbled into a threesome, which sort of pushed us to have the conversation. Um, so that that was 18 years ago. This uh, 18 years ago, as of this summer, and. Yeah, um, like with my, my wife and I, we sort of changed the way we relationship a couple of times along the way. We eventually started like reading books and having deep conversations and we eventually found community and like the actual term polyamory. Uh, like by the time we actually found the term polyamory, we had been non-monogamous for almost a decade, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so after that, like we sort of nailed down exactly like what we were looking for out of our relationships, what we were looking for out of one another, what we were looking for within ourselves. And that ended up by sort of being what stuck. Amazing. Um, so I am curious, like when you were growing up um, or, you know, before this happened, what were your conceptions or, you know, teachings and mindset around monogamy versus non-monogamy? Like was this, did this seem like an option to you that was presented when you were younger or was this something that came to you later? Yeah, like there, there, there was no option. There was no versus. It was all all of our media all of our media surrounding um relationships was surrounding monogamy and right. every once in a while they have something with a non-monogamous storyline a movie where somebody gets a hall pass or whatever it is mm -hmm. and the moral of the story would always be stay true to the one the moral of the story would always be if you veer outside of your committed relationship in any way you will be destroyed um so right. i was like I met my wife when I was 22 or 23 and up until the point where we had the threesome that sort of opened up our relationship, I had never considered non-monogamy like a valid option. Um, the only time I had considered it at all was um, there was a show, uh, Taxi Cab Confessions. Uh -huh. uh, and I remember seeing like um, what appeared to be like a closed triad 
in 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 the backseat of the cab talking about their relationship and i was like wow that's amazing this guy must be some sort of wizard or something because he's got like these two beautiful women that love him and love each other this is strange this couldn't possibly be realistic but it's awesome to see this on television but i never gave it much more thought than that it wasn't until after we were already open did i give it any real thought at all yeah you know, I so I'm having my own journey with non-monogamy and, and for the majority of my life, even more so up until like a year or two ago, it, it didn't enter my mind anything other than monogamy even really existed, other than yeah. like polygamy, right? Like that's like this myth, I think, that we've heard about of like the like Mormons or whatever. Yeah. And so, but I think it's interesting because the more people that I talk to about it and even my partner, it's like it we're so conditioned and it brings up it brings up like some really intense like ego uh you know conversations and like worthiness conversations about like what what do we really expect from a partner and what what are we trying to create within within our lives and what will make us actually the most authentically happy outside of whatever we're taught yeah and it's 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 realistically the only issue that i have with monogamy is that it's seen so often as like this default setting where I don't know very many monogamous couples who sat down, discussed all of their options and then decided on monogamy. It's just, this is what we're taught. This is what's modeled for us. This is the only way we really know how to relationship and that's it, you know? Because, because of this monogamous modeling that we get, it leads people to make a lot of really bad decisions um, in like in dealing with one another, where like I see so often people are uh, people treat their casual partners really poorly because the idea of treating somebody who you're not like committed to marrying with like love and respect and compassion, like no, 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 I don't want anyone to catch feelings. Like no, like the, like we're all real people who deserve better than being treated poorly. But because monogamy says you're holding out for the one, everybody who's not quote unquote the one is just a throwaway person. And then like, who benefits from that, you know? Not the okay. person being dumped and not the person who, not the dumpy either, like treating people callously with with your heart and with their hearts that I don't know who that helps yeah I I love you bringing that into casual casual dating because I do think it's breeded this environment where ghosting is a thing and not talking about our feelings and communicating and having yeah. any kind of boundaries right which I think goes back to this idea of and I'd actually be interested if you'd be willing to share but like you know our sex education within this country, within the United States, is so limited to yeah. mostly anatomical or to, you know, abstinence, which does absolutely nothing, right? And so yeah. this idea that we don't talk about boundaries or communication or, like, sexuality or relationships really puts it so that we have to look to, you know, movies, porn, other outlets and yeah. media, and it's 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 a shame because like we don't teach our kids anything about like about pleasure you know we don't teach our kids anything about like um communication and emotional literacy like right. these are things that like uh polyamory requires like you can't be in like uh healthy and safe and stable polyamorous relationships without 
a lot of communication, without a lot of emotional literacy. Like you can, but they're going to be, they're going to end up being unhealthy. And so like, while I wouldn't tell like a monogamous person, like, yo, you got to be non-monogamous, you've got to be polyamorous or anything like that. I would say like, hey, here are some tools that my, you know, that my relationship structure thrives on that you would 100% got a lot of value out of as well. Totally. Uh, I want to get into those tools and, and discuss that a little bit, but can you define, since we're talking about non-monogamy and polyamory, like what is, what are the definitions or how, how you define them for yourself and in, in your course? What are the definition of those terms? Yeah. And, and I can only speak for myself because everybody sure. sort of has it, their, has their own spin on it. But yeah. for me, really simply like non-monogamy is an umbrella term for just the dating of more than one person. Mm-hmm. Um, what you would hope for is ethical or, or, or consensual non-monogamy where everybody's uh, set in on the same, you know, everyone's on the same page there. Whereas there's also unethical um, non-monogamy, which is cheating. And that's really, really prevalent. Again, sure. people, yeah. make a lot of bad, people make a lot of bad decisions when, when they think that only one person has to like bear all of their romantic and sexual and social needs and everything like that. People cheat all the time because monogamy is not as monogamy isn't as easy as it is idyllic. Um, Sure. And it's very limiting, you know, like we don't even talk about the bounds of what even defines monogamy often, right? Like whether you're monogamous in like flirting or friendships or like what that looks to you. Like there is this blanket term and then we just don't talk about it for the large part. Yeah, because if you talk about it, you might not get the answer you want to hear, you know? (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Yeah, like um, if, if you tell somebody like, hey, like let's have a conversation about what happens if one of us cheats, nobody wants to have that conversation, you know, you know, um, what happens if I fall for somebody else? What happens if like, you know, if I'm at the bar and I, and I get a little flirty with the bartender or, you know, if I want to flirt to get some extra fries on my, on on my plate, you know, which everybody does. Yeah. You know, like (laughs) I, like, I know the, I know the waitress is flirting at me to get extra tips. I agree to this social contract by (laughs) offering up more money. You're like, thank you, you're welcome. But does that mean that get in the car to leave? Are we going to have an argument about how flirty I was with the waitress? Like nobody wants to have those conversations before you hit a crisis point. And then when you hit that crisis point, now you're having an argument. So I'd rather have like the real conversations at the start while everything's chill. Like while, while the Netflix is still playing in the background, while we each got a drink in our hand and are laughing and joking, let's have conversations then so that we're not screaming at each other later I love that and so then so non-monogamy is like the blanket term so then what is polyamory within that framework uh, polyamory is um like uh, the desire the 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 desire the the behavior of being in multiple uh, loving relationships at once um, and I think it, what what separates like say polyamory from swinging is that polyamory is supposedly relationship based whereas swinging might be more sex based you know that's my understanding okay yeah and not that i'm not that i'm taking anything away from from either one like i think it's all i think it's all valid as long as people are being um respectful and safe and communicative it's all okay for me sure um and so as far as you're concerned like what i've 
understood about it is there are, are almost like hierarchical relationships if you choose to in- embark on that, which it could be like a primary, a secondary, a tertiary or something like that. But it doesn't have to fall within that framework, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some people don't do hierarchies like I don't do. I don't do hierarchies like there's sort of a built in hierarchy in terms of like me being a married man. But that's not something that's uh, that's not something that's a step. That's not something where my wife could tell me anything about my other relationships so that I could tell her or override or overrule any of her other relationships. Um, like that's, that's how some people practice. That's not how we practice. There's a lot of, there's a lot of back and forth about the inherent um, ethics of, of all of that. I'm not going to get into that today, but like, sure. I that like, I'm not a fan of hierarchy simply because I don't like the idea of ranking humans. Okay. Yeah. No, I love that. No, I appreciate I, I appreciate you bringing that up. Um, my, like, surface-level knowledge of that particular term was presented like that, so it's nice to to say that there are obviously other options. And, and of course, I didn't even think about the ethical ramifications of it. Um, I, I have a question, and if you don't want to answer this, it's totally fine. But, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of men about monogamy and you know my current partner we we're not monogamous and we've had although we haven't really been able to explore because of covid um but you know like it's interesting talking to some cis heteronormative presenting men at least um and I'm not sure how you identify but you know they're like this masculine identity of of having a per- like having a partner who is like yours and not letting them, you know, go elsewhere. And so I'm wondering, was that ever a struggle for you or did that come up in in a in a big way or or was that just because it was something you were interested in exploring? It felt like a natural thing for both of you then to explore. Um what I'll say is well first firstly I am a I am a cisgender queer uh queer man. Um Yeah. My queerness is still like in my head. It's still relatively new. Like I just had a sh- I, over the over the last two or three years, I had like a shift in my attraction. So like, it I still I still incorrectly list myself as heterosexual sometimes when I know that's not the case. Um, like I mess up my own sexuality. That's how new it is for me in my head. Um, <laughs> I do that. I actually do that as well. I'm like I don't know. Yeah, like it's yeah. I get it. but um like there's there's so much there's so much socialization around um around how we're supposed to interact with other men and like a Mm. lot of that shit is is really toxic and requires like a, a lot of unlearning where when my wife first started uh dating other guys like my first instinct was to tell her not to Mm-hmm. But I was like, but since I'm dating other women, I can't rightfully tell her that. Like, like sure. regardless of how I'm feeling about it, I can't tell her what to do with her, with herself, with her body, with her dating. My next instinct was, I'm going to, when she gets home, I'm going to ask her about the whole date. And when I get angry, because of course I have to get angry, um, mm-hmm. I'm going to call this whole thing off. I'm going to stop dating other people and she, she's going to stop dating other people. This was really, really, really early in our non-monogamous sure. journey. Um, but she told me 
the, the entire story. I asked all the questions. She told me everything about the guy and the date and like everything. And all I could come up with, my whole natural reaction was, I'm glad she had a good time and I'm glad that she's home. So I was like, ah. so if I'm not punching walls and flipping tables here, like society says I'm supposed to, like how much of how much of like my socialized reactions are real and how much of it is like, is, is something that, that I've been fed, you know? So for me, like that jealousy wasn't natural, not to say that I don't feel jealousy, I do, but it wasn't like the natural reaction that I thought it was gonna be. And yeah. as a result, like I had to unlearn like a lot mm -hmm. of what my, my so-called natural responses were. were, were. And that require I mean that that requires that requires a lot of effort um meeting my metamors like I always try to be like really chill about meeting my metamors um my partners other partners metamors okay yeah cool. so like when I meet the other men in her in her life in my wife's life or in like any of my partner's life I try to lay it on real thick as terms of being friendly because I know how uncomfortable that situation can be like you meet some other guy that is providing um support and love and so on and and, and dick to your i mean like <laughs> in the case of cis men like sure. to your partner i know what it i know what socialize socialization says about these these meetings we're supposed to be rivals we're supposed to be enemies i'm supposed to fight or kill this person mm -hmm. so i always laid on real thick about how welcoming and and um about how welcoming i am just because i want to defuse those first few seconds of tension you know sure. yeah so like I, yeah like so if my wife brings home somebody it's like all right hey hey come sit down we're watching the game here's a drink come hang out and eventually it's like no I'm, we're, we're gonna go and you know, we're gonna go and sleep together now. Like, thanks for the invite, <laughs> but, I, but we're, we're we're off to go fuck. It's like, all right, cool, whatever it is. I just want to make sure that we diffuse the tension immediately yeah. before 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 it turns into anything else. You know? Yeah, I I love the language that you're using as well. Of you know what I think a lot of the narrative and stories that we tell in our head about how we're going to react or how we have to react are so yeah. incongruent with how we actually feel and so when we give ourselves the moment to like breathe and see if it actually matches how we're actually feeling yeah. it, it you can really take like quite a diversion from what you automatically think is supposed or what you're supposed to right yeah. um yeah, and so God, that's just that's really neat. Um, there was um, there was a there was a time um, my wife like a a, a a guy my wife had just started seeing comes to the house like he apparently he was like in the neighborhood he stops by to like to, to say hello, and I'm heading up to bed. I'm leaving my basement. I go upstairs to bed and I pass him at the front door, and I'm just like, hey man, what's up? Like we hadn't met before. Just like, hey, what's up? I'm Kevin. You know, he gave me his name and that was it. Like it was, it was just that simple. Hey, what's up? I'm Kevin. I'm so-and-so. And then I left because this is a person in my house. I'm not going to just ignore that there's a human being, like a whole <laughs> ass human in my house. Right. And then like half an hour later, my wife comes to bed and she's like, yeah, like he just stopped seeing me as of this moment because that was too much for him. Like it was too weird. It's too mm. awkward of an interaction 
that, that we had. And she was like, what did you say to him? And I was like, I said, hello. Hey. And I gave him my name. I shook his hand and then I kept it moving. Like our interaction lasted no more than about 20 seconds, if that. Yeah. And, and I'm like, if that's enough to like shatter your confidence in being with a woman that's as amazing as my wife, there's a lot more going on that needs to be unpacked. And if oh, you're in yeah. a situation, that's unpacking that that guy wouldn't have had to do. I mean, he's probably in a monogamous relationship right now, not unpacking whatever that whatever that socialized bullshit was. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I think. I mean, you know, I whatever the viewpoint is on non-monogamy and polyamory, like the the communication and the tools that we're gonna get to. Uh, I mean, they really make you open yourself up to being vulnerable to getting curious to really investigating right and like going beyond what you think you can and like pushing those comfort zones which are crafted you know socially um I am curious as a as a parent um you know what is your philosophy obviously these are you know you guys who you are as a polyamorous couple and so I'm wondering like how does that impact parenting or or what's your philosophy for talking to your kids about about sexuality and and monogamy and and relationships in general because it's such a unique not even unique but I think it's a beautiful opportunity for kids to get a different lens um well my my kids were young so like um like i said my wife and i we've been at it for 18 years uh my kids are 10 and 7 so okay. like this has been what their what their lives look like right uh, for them it's 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 not about like who mommy or daddy are dating for them it's more like oh cool more adults are here who's gonna get me snacks you know who's gonna put in yeah. this movie you know like who who gets invited to the tea party because i have a pair of daughters you know um that's the only time I ever had to like really explain it is that um, my, I, I got spotlighted in a local newspaper a few years ago and I was super excited about it. I'm running around, you know, holding, holding up copies of this newspaper. And my, my, my older daughter was like, what is this? Why are you in a newspaper? Why does anybody care about anything you do? And I'm like, well, you know how we love you? She's like, yeah. Well, you know how when your sister came along, we love her too? She's like, yeah. It's like, well, I love I love your mom. I love my girlfriend. And because of that, it makes our family a little bit different. And she's like, oh, cool. I love my family. And she runs off and goes and plays. And that was like the entirety of the conversation. Um, my kids are smart, smart enough to pick up on the familiarity between partners and like the familiarity between friends we keep it really age appropriate around them. And, and that's, they, they have all the information that they need realistically. Mm-hmm. Um, the only, like in terms of like sexuality though, the benefit that I've come into with, from polyamory and, and like I put my kids on the sexuality and things is that like a lot of the people that I'm around end up being sex educators. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I live near a university that churns out sex educators. Um, and as a result, like they're able to give me like the best tips on which books to pick up in terms of like uh, age appropriate, like uh, books about like gender and sexuality and anatomy, puberty and that sort of stuff. So I was able to get my kids like the right books at the right time. So, and then I leave myself very available to them to answer any questions that they have along the way. 
I, I love that. And I like I eventually want to have a kid or two kids or I don't know, you know, whatever's in the cards. Yeah. And like this idea of being able to create and cultivate that space of permissibility and allowing for that flexibility so that they don't they're not just seeing one rigid form of like a binary and how sexuality is supposed to be and sex and, you know, this Disney princess version that I grew up with, which is yeah. like super myopic, right? Um, I think that's wonderful. Uh, okay, so I'd love to get into um, the unfuck your polyamory and these tools that you were talking about that are useful for couples of all kinds, but that yeah. come out of the polyamory, non-monogamy, and kink communities. Um, yeah. Um, so th- last year, uh, last year November, December, um, I went to go visit Dr. Liz Powell. Uh, Dr. Liz Powell wrote the book uh, Building Open Relationships, and it's a great book. Dr. Liz is a fantastic educator, um, and it was like, well, I'm coming to say I was, you know, it was more of a social thing. Like I'm just going to hang out with my friend Liz, and then I was like, wait a minute, like if I'm going to be in your city and there are places to teach, let's teach a class together. And so we taught a class together and I was like, we sold out this class. We should just do this. Like we could do this online and sell out online classes. So yeah. we, um, we came up with a framework uh, of a six, a six class webinar and where we're, go- we're going over like 101 stuff and terminology, like how to, like how to date, where to find people. Um, we go into like power dynamics, uh, mm-hmm. setting boundaries, how to, uh, how to relate to uh, metamors, jealousy and compersion. Compersion being something like the opposite of jealousy, like finding pleasure in the pleasure of your partners. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know? yeah. So we put together this, 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 this series and uh, we taught it as a live series once. We may do it as a live series again one, at, at some point, but we also um, recorded, recorded these classes and we have those available online under the name Unfuck Your Polyamory. Amazing. And and so for people who either are, you know, interested in dabbling within this world or are in more the monogamy world, what are tools, if, if you have some available or, or some that come to mind of like, you know, benefits that you've reaped from being in this community and from having that that additional communication that additional investigation into you know different power dynamics and relationships and boundaries and such i mean just the ability the the ability to communicate has been has been off the charts and like not just in my relationships but just uh um in like in the world around me because I like I, I don't know how many people I'm dating. I don't keep a count. I don't I don't I don't care about the number. But like over the course of a day, I might need to be somebody's support because they're going through a hard time. I might need to be a cheerleader because somebody's going through a great time. I might need to be sexy with somebody. I might need to be, you know, sad, I, you know, like a congratulatory. I might, you know, there's I've got to shift gears to be supportive of my partners while also being like really mindful of my own personal energy and what my own needs are. I've got to do this with, I've got to do this with people so frequently that, that it allows me to be, uh, to, to switch gears and sort of find a way to communicate with, with everybody, you know, cause yeah. like every, everybody's got, everybody's got their own tempo and like, I'm really good at switching speeds that way. I'm really yeah. good at compartmentalizing that way. Yeah. 
Um, do you ever find it overwhelming to have that many people that you're like emotionally invested in out of curiosity? Every once in a while, yeah. Like every I mean, polysaturation is is a real thing. Mm. And um I know that I've scaled back I scaled back over the last couple of years, like um sort of what I'm doing and who I'm doing it with. Mm. But like everybody's everybody has their own bandwidth. Everybody has their own limits, you know? Where like with my wife, she's good with like being like with me and two people and like that's it, you know? Got it. And with me, I've got a I've got a larger capacity. And sometimes it's just because my wife is tired all the time. My wife works really hard and I work really hard. I've got a lot of different projects, but like I've got more of an energy for one thing or another, you know? We're mm-hmm. both full time parents. So sometimes that right. just means um Sometimes that means that like somebody that you like, somebody that you love might end up getting less of it of an investment than you really want to give them. And it's, it's sad, but like incompatibility isn't a crime. Sure. Yeah. And so do you find that it has enhanced your relationship with your wife? Like since, I mean, you guys have been doing it for 18 years. So I imagine it's brought like something really wonderful to the table especially since you're you're teaching about it but like has it enhanced your relationship too by taking I don't know some stressors off the table or some things that you know you can find elsewhere yeah I mean definitely that like there are there are times like um like just for example like my wife eventually at some point my wife just uh, got involved in the local king community and mm-hmm. she really found a niche she's got a real talent for it but at the time like that's just not where i wanted to go that's just not what i wanted to do you know like she mm-hmm. she liked rope and i'm like i'm not learning how to tie rope so yeah. she was able to sort of find that and find fulfillment um elsewhere and it's the same with me. Like there are things that I get involved with that she's just like not really interested in. Like eventually when I started getting into more kink, um, mm-hmm. we realized really quickly that we don't have a kinky dynamic between the two of us that works. Like even yeah. some of the stuff that she does that I'm into or that or, or that, uh, that I do that she's into, we won't engage with each other in that way because it just doesn't work. But that also means that we have to make sure that we're cultivating and encouraging the parts of us, the parts of our dynamic that do still work, you know? Yeah. So yeah, like it's, it takes off the, it takes off the, uh, it takes off the stress of the, of like uh, the idea of being any and everything for, for the person that you love. And at the same time, like, I know that my wife could get up and leave and be with people who she loves and finds fulfilling. So I know that I have to make sure that I'm worthy of her every day because she's choosing me every day and she has to do the same for me. Like she chooses, like I choose her every day and like she's worthy of me every day. Like we can't, we can't really take each other for granted because we are, because we already know our worth. We already know our value. Like we know our value on the open market. Sure. Can't take each other for granted in that way. Yeah, I love that. I I love that. That's such like a succinct way of of yeah addressing that aspect. Uh, so I'd love to. That was like a perfect transition into the kink community. Um, and I I think that this is what your book is on. Um, based on what I I've seen of it, but like representation within the kink community. Um. I'd love to talk about that because, you know, I, th- I think we're in a, 
a special moment right now, um, particularly, but in general, representation is important. And um, yeah, so I'd love to hear, I'd love to hear what you have to say about it. And, and yeah. Um, I've been watching a lot of the Ocean's Eleven trilogy. It's, a, a, it's been a, on a, TV <laughs> and yeah, it's on Netflix, I think. <laughs> yeah, like 12 and 13 are on Netflix. 11 is on uh, HBO Go. I've been watching a lot of those. And something that's something that's been like this common representation of Vegas is people in suits. It's just like people like really sharply dressed at crabs tables, mm-hmm. looking really fancy. And the first time I went to Las Vegas, I was a guy in jeans and t-shirt. And I walked into my first casino and I saw a bunch of people in like jeans and t-shirts, a bunch of people in flip-flops, just like regular folks in these like extravagant places. Uh And I think about that in relation to kink in that whenever kink is represented, it's people in like fully decked out in leather with whips and masks. Everyone's got a ball gag. And meanwhile, (laughs) like your local kink community is, your, your local kink community is basically your local, your local sewing club. Your local, your local, <laughs> your local running group. It's just, it's just people, people who have an yeah. in something that's a little outside of, um, outside of the standard. Yeah. You know, for every time that I've been to any kink community event and seeing people, you know, wearing kilts or swinging floggers or doing all the other stuff, I've also seen those same folks at movie nights and potlucks and, you know, and like taking their kids to the park because we had, we all decided to get together and have a group picnic or something, you know? Yeah. Like the representation is, is, um, it's overdone only because it's done by people who aren't involved. And that's the same way with polyamory as well. It's the reason why nine times out of 10, when, when monogamous folks create polyamorous media it's always closed triads it's always the the one guy with the two bisexual ladies and um it's always like really sexually focused and things like that you know yeah it's uh it's exhausting to see because it's like that's not what our lives look like yeah but i'm i'm a fierce advocate of creating your own media and telling your own stories it's what poly role models and loves not colorblind are all about you know Mm -hmm. yeah i love that and so specifically then what is your what is the book what is what does the book talk about um it talks about the uh, race and representation and the way that plays out in in polyamorous circles and realistically if you like cross out if you do like a copy uh, was a find and replace and swap out polyamory for kink or polyamory for swinging or polyamory for, for um, you know, blue, uh, uh, blues dancing or any, any community, the, <laughs> the, the, the book stays the same realistically. Right. But it's me talking about how a lot of the ills of white supremacy, a lot of, a lot of what white supremacy puts into our culture it doesn't get stopped by being polyamorous. The t- uh, the tokenization, mm. the the fetishization, the othering, the blatant racism, that stuff finds its way to polyamory because it, it, it involves all the same people, you know? Yeah, yeah, of course. And like, it started with me just sort of talking about my own experiences because I live in the Philadelphia area and Philadelphia is a pretty black city. And I'd go to events and find myself being like one of, you know, one of like, maybe two or three black people you know there there are times where i've gone to events where there's like 30 40 50 people there's three black people here and they all came in my car you know right right mm-hmm. 
though, like I got into talking about my experiences in these in these communities. And uh, Rebecca Hiles, who's the Frisky Fairy on, on online, um, uh, they are a, they're a good friend. They are, they're a good friend and partner, and they were just like, "Hey, you should be talking about this." Not just like to us at parties, not just to us in group chats and Facebook groups, but like you should be going to educational spaces and discussing this stuff because this is stuff that people need to hear. And I started doing that, and like the message caught on immediately, like the most validating thing ever is like i'd be talking about my experiences with say token the tokenism and there'd be other black folks in the crowd nodding their heads because the same shit happened to them uh and then there'd be like white folks and like you know shaking their heads because it's something they did to somebody and they didn't realize you know that sure. they they didn't realize that something they thought was welcoming was actually really harmful right yeah and then um at some point like the idea came to turn the workshops that I was doing around the country into a book. And that's where Love's Not Colorblind came from. And I made it a point to use stories that weren't just my own. Cause like mm-hmm. I could tell stories all day about things that happened to me from like a, like from a racial, from a racial aspect, but yeah. it's not just, it's not just me and it's not just about me. So I made it a point to get other people's perspective, other people's stories they told, you know, and I, I put all of that into this one book. I, I love that. And I, I, I'm grateful for you sharing as well, because I think like, you know, as, as a white person, this has been quite a time of, of just reckoning with our own understanding and language. And I think it's so important to talk about language and, and white supremacy within every single group and subset and event. Right. And I think sometimes being a part of the King community as well and going to parties, which I haven't for a long time, but, you know, the importance of language and the importance of understanding, particularly in those environments, fetishization, that's the word, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and tokenizing somebody, um, and how, how we can do better. And, um, and so I'm curious about, you know, when you talk about, um, when you talk about these things, like what, how, how, what, what is the impact that you're hoping to have? And like, how, how can, how can those of us who are in these spaces also help to, to, um, you know, make these more inclusive environments and have our language be better as well. Um, yeah, if you don't mind sharing, I, I'm very interested. I know, like for me, it's, I'm talking to the people who are, who are willing to listen. Um, yeah. 90% of the time, if I talk to white folks about race, they're trying to debate, they're trying to debate with me about race as if they have a better understanding of like, of, of like black life or systemic oppression than, than than someone who actually has to deal with it. And like, that's not who my book is for. Like there are people yeah. who are, well, I want to do better. I want to, I, I want to understand. I want to do better. I want to adjust my relationship life or my organization or my community in a way that makes it more friendly or welcoming or less hostile or more safe to, uh, to the people of color who currently aren't in attendance that's who my book is for. Um, My book is for uh, people of color, especially black people who want to know, who want validation for what's going on with them. Um, 
in the same way that having people nodding their heads when I talked about my own experiences was validating to me, I want my book to be validating for them. Like I've had people message me a, a bunch of times saying like, what you're talking about in that book, it, it, I could have written your book with what you're with with, uh, with what you're saying. I'm glad somebody did because like I didn't want to feel like I was crazy for mm. for um for having these experiences and not feeling comfortable sharing them. You know, yeah. It's um, it's been an interesting ride in that regard. You know, has it fostered? conversations where you feel like you've moved the needle um you know a little bit or in your own spaces where you have done king player you're in in your own king community has there been has there been progress that you're hoping for um what i can say is people have messaged me and said like hey I gave this book to the organizers of such and such a club. They they made a few rule changes. They changed their leadership up a little bit. And now my, you know, now this club looks different. Now this organization looks different. Now this community looks different. And that's been really great. Like I have no idea how many people or how many areas, but every sure. once in a while, like I, I, I'll get like a, it'll just be like a, you know, less than a hundred words on, um, on like a, a, on an Instagram uh, DM. <laughs> Where someone's like, "Hey, I'm in Salt Lake City, Utah, and like our our kink community Salt looks Lake, different wow. now." Yeah, you know, like and sometimes that's sometimes even outside of America, um, like you know, a couple of times a month, someone will just message me and say, "Like, hey, thanks for writing that book. It helped me do this. It helped me do that. It helped my community. It helped my organization," and that's really great. Yeah. Locally, where like I'm, I've been like mostly backseat for 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 about uh since since uh love's not colorblind released um because i'm working on other projects but but where i was able to have like a hand-on approach in my local community where i at at one point back in like 2017 i actually had like a leadership position we were able to change a lot of the demographics. We changed the, we, once the leadership of our local community changed it changed the demographics of the um of the events we were throwing. Mm. Um, I got spotlighted in, um, in Philadelphia Daily News uh, a couple of years back. And once that article came out, our local communities, like the numbers, the numbers expanded. And I was somebody who was in charge of like it, of the intake process. Okay. And so I was able to see like, we, we were able to bring like hundreds of new people into our local community over the course of a couple of months. And most of them were people of color. Most of them were black. Awesome. You know, I started hosting events myself where, uh, like, um, you know, rest in peace, Chadwick Boseman, when Black Panther yeah. came out here locally, I bought a dozen tickets for um, the Thursday night premiere. And we were able to, like, fill a couple of roles with Black Polyamorous, you know? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, that sort of thing wasn't happening in Philadelphia before before myself and a couple other people started doing that. And which is amazing because, again, Philadelphia is a really black city. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think and that point about having representation within the leadership of these different communities and the languaging of the, I, I imagine the intake and how you're even like putting out to new people, the visibility to different groups um, is huge. And, and I just I think it's so admirable and and um I yeah I feel grateful to 
for you to share with me and and to let me know what's going on and and yeah, yeah the, about the journey. Um, well, you've been amazing. I I'm so delighted with this conversation and and so grateful to meet you. How can people find you and your unfuck polyamory, uh, unfuck your polyamory course and your books and and all of the lovely thing that things that you have. Um, I'm, I'm everywhere as poly role models and that's Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. I'm poly role models on all of those things. Um, the, the book was not colorblind is available anywhere. Books are sold. Um, that's pretty widespread. Um, the, for hire books, my queer polyamorous superhero novels, um, those are available as paperbacks through Amazon and as eBooks through everywhere. Oh, cool. And the class, uh, Unfuck Your Polyamory, the easiest way to find it is um, bit.ly slash UY Polyam. Okay, cool. And we'll put that um, that link in the show notes for sure. Uh, awesome. Well, I, I can't wait to read your book. Um, and uh, yeah, to keep up with what you're doing. And congrats on the new book. Can't wait for hey, it to come you. out. Yeah, uh, we'll definitely post whenever, whenever that becomes available so that everybody can can find it and get the ebook or get the paperback on Amazon. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Woohoo! Oh boy, oh boy. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. Oh, that was just like a delicious interview. I feel so grateful. He was willing to like reschedule with me too. And yeah, I just it's an honor i feel grateful that you're willing to come on kevin thank you and please follow him he's got some really cool content on social media platforms and i can't wait to get his book and read it so you should too um as always please follow us on social media at finding my yum podcast on facebook and instagram we are switching up what we're posting we're posting behind the scenes we're posting little nuggets of fun and juiciness so um tune in follow us comments send us messages we want to hear from you yeah and if you want to reach out to us over email you can do that at findingmyyum at gmail.com um, don't forget to rate review and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts Five and stop. uh pick 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 one of your favorites and uh reach out to how many friends this time 151 Reach out to 151 friends this time. Share that favorite episode with them. It's the same number of friends as there are in the original series of Pokemon. Um, and that's the kind of content you're going to get <laughs> when you listen to Finding My Yum. Or not at all. But... <laughs> <laughs> oh, awesome. We'll see you next week. <laughs>